This is The Social Geek Radio Network. Geeks and welcome to the Social Geek Podcast. I'm Jack Munson, your host and marketing concierge. Today, it's the 2024 reading list for franchising. If you're in franchising, these are the recommended books you need to know about now. I'll chat with rock star authors Tony Harris Taylor, Kevin Molenkamp, and Scott Greenberg. They've got books you want to grab before your flight to Phoenix for the IFA convention. Today's episode is brought to you by Citrin Cooperman, Answer Connect, Northeast Color, and our authors are next after a quick word from our newest sponsor, Hughes. Cybersecurity is the biggest risk to your business. Cyber criminals can steal your data, steal your money, and even impact your ability to stay open. Protect your business with Hughes Managed Cybersecurity. The Hughes suite of cybersecurity services protects, detects, and responds to cyber threats so you can focus on running your business. Reach out to find out how Hughes can become your cybersecurity partner. Visit Hughes.com slash franchise. And be sure to visit the Hughes booth number 303 at IFA to learn more and ask about a free 30-day trial. Tony Harris-Taylor is known as the networking queen and the coach that connects. Her new book is titled Show Up, Be Up, Follow Up to Blow Up. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jack. I am so excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. And that's probably the most exciting title I've seen in a book in a very long time. Uh, give oh, us a thank little you. give us a little overview of the book. What inspired you to write about networking in in specific? Yes, so I'm known as the networking queen. I own a networking franchise. And what I find is that most entrepreneurs and franchisees, they love what they do. They just don't want to market it or sell it. And so um, and the first key to success, I believe, is showing up. And many people miss out on key relationships and connections because they're not in the room. And so my philosophy is to teach people how to show up, where to show up, how to be up, have great energy, be attractive, and then follow up. And we all know the fortune is lost in the follow up um, if we don't do it. And so that's what inspired the book. What are people doing wrong when it comes to networking? Are they are they just not getting off the couch and going to events? Are they, and, and I'm sure there's probably some things with the follow-up that we could all do better, but what do you see happening with most of your colleagues and friends and other people in the industry that you just tell them, stop, you've, you've got to change what you're doing? Absolutely. So the first thing is they're not in the right rooms with the right people. So, for instance, um, I've been invited to a lot of conferences this year, and I said my target is franchising, so I'm going to be in the room with the franchise folks. I don't, 
not that I don't want to be in the room with other people, but I got to be specific to be terrific. So they're showing up in the wrong rooms. Then when they show up, they think they need to be salesy, sleazy, and slimy to attract people. And that is the opposite (laughs) of what they should be doing. They should be really having a posture of getting to know people, building connections, because you're not really here to sell the person in front of you. Although if they need you, they'll tell you. You're here to get to the other side of that person. So we show up so we can get the door held open for us into other networks. And then, of course, the follow-up, it ain't being done. I mean, come on. We got stacks and stacks and stacks of business cards we've collected that, you know, you intend to follow up. But even when you do, you'll send out one email. And if you don't get a response, you've moved on to what's on your desk for the day. And so I teach my network and franchisees and entrepreneurs to book appointments on the spot, which is drastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I love the drastic part of that too. Drastic results is, is, is definitely part of your personal brand that I've always loved. Um, tell me more about that. Getting, getting uh, something on the calendar or getting a, a, an appointment booked or something right there on the spot while you're at the networking event. How do you Absolutely. do that? Absolutely. You ask. it's just that simple we have not because we ask not and yes sometimes people are a little bit shocked when you ask but here's how it you formulate it jack you say you know what you got more people to meet i got more people to meet, and i really want to connect deeper with you can we schedule a zoom one-to-one 30 minutes to learn more about what you're working on and how we can help each other Would you be open to that? You know what I love about that is you're being very respectful of the other person's time. And and you're acknowledging that, you know, we're here at, let's say we're talking about the IFA convention this year, and there there will be 4,000 or 4,500 other people there to talk to. And and you're, you're giving them permission to have a short conversation and move on. I really love that. That's right. And then, You pull out your cell phone and you find a time and I've automated mine. So they just put their name, email and phone number in my little automation. We find a time. I click send and they get it on their calendar instantly. And we've moved on. I leave every event and I teach my clients to leave every event. If it's a local event, five appointments, because that's all I can handle on my calendar because I'm busy. But when I go to a major conference like IFA, 30 appointments, 30. So I'm not you, spending my money to leave with business cards. So you have a goal set before you get there that you want 30 appointments set before you get on the airplane to go home. Absolutely. That's that's a great way to look at it too. And And back to setting the appointments in person, the thing that I think is um, – it is working against us and it's just it, it just it's such a huge task when we all get home the following monday looking at that list of people that oh now i've got to reach out make the emails send a linkedin note send a text whatever and it just seems undoable it's daunting when you do it that yeah, way that's yeah. why You get it on the spot. It takes you less than one minute to find a time 
And if you put your systems to work for you, you get them on and it's done. Now, here's the thing, Jack. They may get home and they say, oh, I'll double book myself. No problem. Reschedule and go further out. It is really, and I want more franchisees to know how to do this because I know that this one strategy transforms the game. So I would assume there's some more great advice and tips in your book like this. And and I want to jump into a few more things, but I have to tell you first, I love the format of this book. It's written like a collection of short stories. What do you have in here? 20, 25, 25 short stories 25. Proving that networking works. I love that idea of having these in short story format, because for some of us like me who have a terrible attention span, um, we can, we can dive in and get a few nuggets from two or three stories and then check it out a little bit later in the day, or maybe tomorrow when I'm going to be on a flight or something like that. So I, I love the entire format of, of storytelling in a very short form manner. Um, can you tell us about a couple of the really good stories in the book or or maybe some of the folks who contributed? Yeah. So this is not a co compilation book. This is my stories from people I've met through networking. And I'll tell you about the story with um, Amy. Amy uh, was a regional director for Constant Contact. We met networking she invited me to become a affiliate for Constant Contact. And 13 years later, I'm still getting a paycheck from them. <laughs> Love that. I know. I know. Um, then the other one is where um, Mike and Kim Bush, they are real estate brokers in my area. And I met them networking, met him networking. He let me come in and speak to his real estate agents at a time when I was about to quit entrepreneurship. And because of them, and they gave me a place to sit in their office, they gave me an audience to talk to, they turned my whole business around. And it just started with me showing up to an event somebody invited me to, booking an appointment with Mr. Bush on the spot. And when he introduced me to his daughter, or to his wife, she said, well, who's this lady coming to speak to our realtor? She, he said, I don't know, but she put me on the calendar on the spot. And if she can teach our <laughs> realtor to do that, and they are now dear friends of mine who, I mean, and it's just been amazing. You know, it's nice to be dear friends and it's nice to be affiliated with someone who is still sending you checks many years later. But yeah. the fact that those relationships are still that strong and the business between the two of you is still that strong means they found some value in, in what you are offering. They're not doing this just out of the goodness of their heart, right? right? There, there is some value to what you're offering to them. So I think to me, that's the, the whole key to great networking is what are you bringing to the party? And so absolutely. And I teach, teach my clients always ask, what are you working on and how can I help? What are you working on? How can powerful words? Because ain't nobody else asking that, right? Yeah. So if we ask that and mean it, and part of the reason for networking, Jack, is so you have people to introduce people to when you ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. It isn't really the first person or the first level relationship 
where networking really happens. It's that second and third. Yeah. You know, it isn't just you and me. It's someone who maybe I can introduce to you yeah. or or someone you can introduce to one of my connections. Absolutely. And we may be out of the deal completely for all I know, but but we made that connection for those folks and 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 that's really where where this happens best. So, uh final question for you, where am I going to see you next in this great world of franchising and all of these wonderful events coming up in 2024? Where am I going to see your smiling face? For sure, you're going to see me at the IFA in Phoenix. Um, unfortunately, I can't stay the whole time because I'm doing a keynote for another brand. That's a good um, like reason. The, that's a great reason, <laughs> right? Um, but I'll be at IFA. And then I'm balancing my, I'm looking at the July Denver FBN. Yes. You know, I was not there last year, but a few of my friends um, who are are in the Denver area, um, Abby Schmidt and Patty Rother and Ingrid Schneider, uh, told me that this is the networking event west of the Mississippi for the entire year. This is the place we have to go. So I think I'm going to I'm going to check it out this year. I'm going to check it out. It came across my and then um, I don't know where else, because I'm going to get on your coattails and you're going to take me with you wherever you go. OK, that sounds like a plan. We will what? hit the road. Um, but I will see you in Phoenix at the IFA annual convention. That's February 17th through the 20th in Phoenix. I will see you there. And if people are interested in checking out your book, maybe that's a, that's a great read on the flight on the way to Phoenix. Where can we send them to find the book? Go to Amazon and I have a direct link, showuptoblowup.com. Showuptoblowup.com will take you directly to the Amazon page to order it. Back in a moment after this word from Northeast Color. Northeast Color produces branded interior decor and custom signage solutions for the franchise industry with a special focus on value engineering. They work with franchisors to re-engineer their existing signage packages to lower costs on materials, shipping, and installation, all while maintaining the integrity of their client's brand. In short, Northeast Color literally makes things better. Learn more now at northeastcolor.com. Chatting now with Kevin Molenkamp. He's a brand zealot with Garand Molenkamp. He's the creator of a little campaign you may have heard of called America Runs on Duncan and many other wildly successful marketing campaigns in and out of franchising. And he's got a new book out called Bacon in a Craveable Brand. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks a lot, Jack. Great to be here. Wonderful to... Uh... Be talking to you in person and, and being on your show. I, I love your show. You do an amazing job. Well, thank you so much for that. I, I received the book the other day and I just couldn't put it down. It's got just such such a cool vibe around it. I mean, you know, maybe it's all of the donuts that are uh, on the cover and in the packaging and everything. Uh, before we get to the book and and uh, about craveable brands, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Uh, my background goes pretty far back, so I won't go all the way back, but um, I, uh, I've i been in uh, branding and marketing probably over 30 years, 35 years, somewhere in there, I stopped counting, um, and uh, most of it as a chief creative officer um, for large agencies. Uh, I was 
back in New York, you know, I was working at BBDO, um, did a lot of great, great brands to cut my teeth on like um, Pepsi and Visa and Doritos, just wonderful sort of CPG brands. And, you know, got, got a great start there with some of the great minds in, in, in marketing um, and went on to run uh, a few of my own agencies. McCann Erickson hired me. I, I went up to become chief creative officer uh, in Detroit which actually seemed like a sentence at the time, but they were the first one to say, hey, <laughs> listen, you take this job, it's on to bigger and better things. And, and I took it, actually it turned out to be a wonderful job. Uh, I loved working there, learned a lot. Um, probably absolutely the best place for me to cut my teeth as a chief creative officer. Um, and then they lived up to their word and they actually sent me out to San Francisco where I ran uh, McCann San Francisco, where about 70% of our buildings was Microsoft. Um, we had all their wow. global marketing. Um, and learned a lot there as well um, before I was hired back at Hill Holiday, which is just south of us uh, here uh, in Boston and ran uh, Hill Holiday's chief creative officer for about seven years there. So a lot of a lot a lot of background on the creative side. Um, in the middle of all that, I became a franchisee. Uh, my wife and I for American Family Care got that entrepreneurial bug and actually applied it back to marketing where I opened my own agency um, with all the uh, things that I learned on, on both sides uh, of, of those uh, uh, fences. And um, we've been uh, partnered with someone up here for 30, she, she started the agency almost 35 years ago. I've been here about uh, seven uh, and uh, the, you know, brought in some new partners. And so that's, that's where I find myself today here at Jared Mullenkamp. When I first met you, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, your Venn diagram of franchising and marketing agency kind of crossed over in the exact same place that mine does. Um, American Family Care, one of my favorite brands out there. How long have you been a franchisee with them? We've been franchisees for, I'm going to say, close to 10 years. Wow, that's great. Great yeah. brand to check out if if anybody is interested. And um I like that you said that some of the things that you've learned from being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, really apply back to the marketing end with a lot of your clients. What is it about branding that you just can't seem to pull yourself away from? You know, it's funny. I I would have said earlier on, if you had asked me to describe what I did, I would have said, oh, I'm an advertising guy. I'm a, I'm a yeah, bad, yeah. bad guy, right? And, <laughs> and, and I didn't realize at the time how how narrow that definition is of, of what we do. I mean, it, it, when we do our jobs well today, when I think about what I do as a, a, a branding specialist, you think about the whole house, uh, more of like an architect versus a plumber, right? And I think back in the day, we were just award-winning plumbers. And we were fantastic yeah, at what we yeah. did, right? And we went in and we said, no, what you need is a marketing campaign. And indeed, great creative works. I mean, that's the one thing that has never left me. Uh, better creative is is better than crappy creative, um, you know. And I think that just goes back to you have to really uh, appreciate your audience's time and give something back for them to care. So creative creativity matters. But when I, when I started evolving my thinking to branding, it really opened up in terms of how I thought about companies, how I thought about their businesses. Uh, because whereas marketing is one dimension of what they do, and we were kind of in a vendor role, um, branding requires you to be on level with the strategic thinking of, of the of the clients you're working for. I mean, because branding can affect every aspect of their business and indeed should. Um, there's been recent research that shows 
companies that utilize brand across their entire um, uh, company are much more successful. They have proven metrics now. And um, and so that that really evolved my thinking from being an ad guy to being uh, a branding zealot and, and a consultant much more so than we used to be. Yeah, I like that idea of comparing this with trades where, you know, you could be a plumber, you could be an electrician, but no, I'm I'm someone who makes your house better, right? And right. and I and I think for too long, you're right. We we got sort of pigeonholed into these areas of, you know, for a while I was in PR and then I was in advertising. And if I take a step back, I was doing the same job. Just one of them had an ad budget behind it and one of them didn't. And and now we're in this space where, you know, you look at things like the short form videos that my team is really involved in on Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok. People ask me all the time, well, wait a minute, is that paid or is that organic? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Because <laughs> it one part of the day for this audience, it's organic. For that other audience over there that we're specifically targeting about franchise opportunities or whatever, that's actually a paid campaign. Though a lot of the creative is the same because the 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 branding behind it, as well it should be, is all part of the same strategy. So I think I think we're all kind of getting to where you got to a few years ago, finally. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I look at what, what your company is doing and, you know, um, like our company, which is to know that brand is something you feel not necessarily, that's something that you sit and sort of orate about, right? If you find yeah. yourself like orating about your brand, you've kind of missed the point. And, yeah. and I, I say, if you're not feeling your brand, you're failing your brand. And, and I, I look at what you guys do and it's like with the storytelling and, you feel the brand, right? You feel the emotions of why that company to a franchisee might be of interest, right? Because we all think, and I remember back in my Microsoft days, you know, we would work on every aspect of Microsoft, but then we would also work towards engineers. And Microsoft had a very specific uh, sort of thought about how you should reach those guys. And and it was very narrow. And it's like, hey, these are geeks, right? It's like, you got to speak in in bites and you got you to gotta understand their language. And then you, we did research on those guys. And what we realized is they were human beings who like, well, whose favorite commercials <laughs> are Bud Light commercials, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you, it, it changed the way we talk to them. And I think there's still a lot of misconception out there that, you know, when you specialize in something, it's like, oh, it's a franchisee. Well, you have to speak in franchisee language. And what they want to know is return. Of course, they want to know all that stuff. I'm a franchisee. I want to know all that stuff. I was desperately afraid of failing. Um but at the same time, when it comes down to sort of where where are you going to put your money, it's like there are brands out there that people want to be a part of and they want to invest in, you know, because they, they say, hey, if that company understands its mission to that degree, I can bank on that mission. You know, I'd rather bank on something unique and special and heartfelt than something that is just, you know, another franchisee download. And I think you guys do a great job of that. Yeah, thank you. And and I think another level of that is is not just what you're saying to those engineers or whatever the other audience is. It's also where you're saying it because for I think the first decade or decade and a half of the social media era, we convinced ourselves that well, you know, um LinkedIn is where professionals are talking about business and 
Facebook is where this group is talking about their family and Instagram is where people are talking about food, whatever. And, right. and, and I think we're finally at the point now where all of those things are different for different consumers. And many consumers don't go to any of the other places anymore. They're, they're focused right. on one and you can't just say, well, this is business. So it's LinkedIn or this is fun. So it's Instagram. If you want to reach franchisees, candidates, or other types of consumers, you've got to be in all of those places because all of those different types of people might look at them as different entities than what you're looking at. So I, I love that idea of, of getting out of those silos when it comes to what part of life or what type of person they are and, and just, you know, reaching out and, and hitting that messaging everywhere right now. hundred percent. I think it's a brilliant insight. Jack is that I, I think to, and I think it's, I think it's probably a result of data and saying, you know, Hey, data says X, right. But yeah. I think that trumps all of it is human nature can't be really well-defined by data. You know what I mean? It yeah. can, you can demographically sort of understand people, but human emotions are, you know, you approach every channel out there as a human being. Um, whether, whether they've told you, Hey, sorry, this is how you, this is, this is the audience that you'll get here. People are still coming to those things as human beings with very, uh, human needs. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you, if you reach them at that level, whatever it is, I, I always thought that was the problem with B2B, you know, when we do B2B, it's like, Oh no, no, B2B is, is this. And now, now yeah. you look up at like a hundred articles a month these days on sort of the, the reawakening of B2B to the fact that the B2B people are business, are, are business people, but they're human beings. They're and they human like beings. To yeah. To human beings. Yeah. Um, and, that and, like, they, and they don't read business activity. content between the hours of nine and five. That's the thing that's always driven me crazy is, you know, oh no, this is, this is for weekdays only. Like, no, it's not people, yeah. people who right. are, those engineers you're talking about or the franchise candidates that you and I talk about a lot, they're, they're scrolling at three o'clock in the morning, just as much as they are at three o'clock in the afternoon. So right. yeah, I, I, I think we've finally gotten away from, from some of those old tropes that, um, that just seem to be created in the, in the era of newspapers and television. Right. Um, I want to jump back into the book, bacon in a craveable brand. Tell me where the book started. What was the inspiration for for finally putting uh, all of your ideas down on paper? Uh, you know, it's 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 funny. The more I sort of go through interaction with clients, and a lot in the franchise world too, um, where you would sit down and have conversations with very smart people, um, parts of successful companies, and we start having conversations about brand and you know marketing and advertising and PR. And I have always been blown away by how few people really understand the difference between all of those things. And, and, and that, that surprised me. It, it truly surprised me. And, and, I, and the fact that there's a lot of people out there who are given a lot of power and, and influence on their companies who don't even really truly understand the differences. And if you don't understand those differences, I don't understand how you can leverage any of those because you're, you know, without, without understanding what branding is, you could be out there marketing and, and marketing for a reason that is uh, 
very, you know, has a very small time frame, that, and then it goes away, right? Versus how do how do I build a brand and build marketing? And and so the book was really, I first said, boy, I said I don't want to be too basic, you know, but there's a need out there for to help people at. And again, being a franchisee, I'm very empathetic to those uh, other franchisees out there who put their life savings and marketing is one of those things that's vitally important to understand. And branding is vitally important. Um, helping them to say, how, how do I know the difference and what should I be asking for from my franchisor? And is, is the brand that they're building actually beneficial to me? Um, and, and I think those people should be armed with that knowledge if you're, you know, because like, as you know, a lot of people put life's investments in, in some of these franchisees uh, for, you know, that they're buying into. And yeah. so I had that empathy and I said, boy, we'd be good just to build a book. That's a bit of a, bit of a small manifesto of, of um, understanding the difference between branding and marketing and advertising then, and then how to just very commonsensically look at all of it and say, I can make this work at, at a local level um, and giving them the narrative to go out there and be passionate about what their, about what their business is. Let's talk about that passion. What makes a craveable brand? Uh, you, we we kind of call craveable, but we we a long time ago, um, probably five years ago, we were talking about brands and um, and sort of how we build brands. And this notion of craveable came out of this thing. I said, you know, the, the best brands out there, people, uh, it's just not a preference. It's like they actually crave them. They, and I said, like, People crave to be part of the Nike world. They crave to be in the world of Apple. They crave, it's like, it, it almost has filled the hole. And I said, we went back and said, you know, if you think about customers, potential customers through that lens about make, building a craveable brand, I said, does it, does it then make it incumbent on us to think differently about how we build a brand to ensure that that happens? And we narrowed it down. We said, what people crave is very simple. They either crave flavor, which is, I mean, flavor in food, but also flavor in life and excitement and the things that are different to us. We crave attention. All of us are, you know, in many ways, self-centered. Um, and we see the world through that filter. So we're always looking for affirmation that, that, Hey, you know, I'm okay. You know, and we look for belonging, which is community, you know, wanting to be a part of something and, and feel bigger than ourselves. And, and it, it was a boiled down version of old Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but simplified it down and said, if brands today can fill those holes in us that we that we are looking for, and if you build a brand that does that successfully across your company, you will have a high degree of success um, because you are now dealing with humans on a human level who crave something. We all walk around like we got big holes in us. You know, it's like, uh, sorry, I'm only ever half formed even the day we die. And Brands can, like when we did America Runs on Duncan, that took off because it recognized in the hardworking people of America, this, they were, they were, they were being forgotten in many ways, you know, whereas Starbucks was a celebration of sort of, you know, uh, success and wealth in many ways. You know, Duncan was the, the hardworking man's sort of little treat. And, and by celebrating that, it just became... I saw it firsthand in many ways, marketing elevated to branding, elevated to like this higher purpose for people that they proudly, you know, put on their cup to say, hey, in case you didn't know, 
I'm one of those guys. You know, I'm, I'm the guy, yeah. I'm the, I'm the blue collar worker who, who works for a living. Thank you very much. And, and, and I saw the power of what great branding could do um, when it's, when it's thought through the right filters. You know, I had never thought about that before that the cup you carry in your hand is, is sort of like a, uh, a logo on, on the front of your shirt or your emotions on your sleeve or, or whatever, 100%. you know, some people have the Starbucks cup, right. And, and some of us have the Duncan cup and now some of us have the Stanley cup and, and they all mean <laughs> something to someone because there was a whole lot of work done on that brand before that cup went into the hand. So how do you know if your brand needs to move into that, that, that craveable area or, or maybe all brands need to figure out what they could do to be craveable to their customers? How do you know when it's time to change that and maybe do a rebrand and, and bring in someone to help you? Is there, is there a certain time where you would tell a customer now is the time you need to make some decisions on your brand? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think you could do a quick analysis of brands and say, what, what do you know about them? If you, if you said, what is, I mean, I, at the heart of a lot, I, you, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, he, 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 had, Oh yeah. The book about why, you know, your yeah. brand, why. And, um, I think a lot of people thought that way before Simon Sinek, I think he was just brilliant enough to sort of, reduce it down to that simple statement, which was, you know, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it as a company. And I, and I, that, when I first heard that the first time, it was like when I show clients brands sometime and they're like, holy mackerel. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> and I heard him say that I went, holy mackerel. Exactly. That's what I've been thinking all these years. You're right. And so it was, it really, it really sort of clarified my thoughts and, um, and you can look at any brand now and you go, do I, do I understand why they do what they do? And, I, and a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, you're talking about cause advertising. Now do I got to go spend a half a million dollars in, you know, a charitable foundation? And, and, and it, it, yes, you can, if you, if you want, that's perfectly great. You should go do that. But if you don't have the money, it's like, you can be a purpose-driven brand. That's about just thinking about customers' lives. Like we, America, Duncan didn't run out all of a sudden and like support, you know, blue collar worker or, or, or unions right. or something. you know what I mean? They, they were about uplifting, you know, the hardworking backbone of this country. That's what their purpose was. Right. And it was, it's a very, it was a very worthwhile um, mission for them. And I, and I think any brand can have that. If you think about your product through the filter of really what purpose do we fill? There's always, I guess I go back, I go back to the Crable part. There's, Brands and products are always servicing something that you need, right? And then, and, and emotionally, you know, and we work, we work at a brand, for instance, um, Made Pro, and we did, you know, cleaning is deeper with Made Pro. They gave us a 40, they said, we have a 40, you know, uh, 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 the checklist when we go in and we do the, uh, the cleans. And I go, that's great. That's differentiating. But what does that mean to people? And then if you put that through the craveable brand filter, you put it through the, human filter, you know, we said cleaning and, and cleaning your house is a Zen uh, affair. It's, it's, I get my house clean. Yes. But th th to feel good that my house is clean, but it also gives me peace in a world where I find very little peace. You know, there's a sense of for a day or so, the sense of you have it together, you know, and yeah. 
and so interpreting that 40 that 40 checklist 40 point checklist into cleaning is deeper with made pro it wasn't just it's a deeper clean but it's also a deeper sense of peace you know the, the, yeah. the cleaner my house is the deeper that clean i feel you know and and to and to translate a product into sort of a mental state of being really and and again that's just a I, and that's a service, but I, I think every product, if you if you put through that rigor, you, you can find a purpose. You can find a reason why what you are offering is is more than just a, a transaction. What I love about that, and this applies to a lot of smaller franchise brands that that we talk to a lot, is what you've done with that campaign. The cleaning being deeper. Same thing with. America runs on Duncan. These are word-based ideas and feelings, right? It isn't all about let's go out and get a a five million dollar spend on a Super Bowl ad, and and let's have a big pop star in it, and and you know do it all up big. What you've done with both of those brands is something in literally one sentence. And, and everything is sort of based on those words like cleaning and deeper and America runs. And I think, I think starting with that idea, because I think as soon as you say those sentences, people just, they get it right away. And, and you can probably get away with foregoing the Super Bowl commercial if you've got an idea that really hits somebody that hard. So I, I love the idea of these campaigns really starting with, just a thought or a sentence, not starting with let's go spend a hundred million dollars on something. Right. Yeah. Cause that, you know, and I think that's, it's a good point too, Jack, because it's like we bake into those things, um, this sense of, of mission and purpose in those, which a tagline that is built out for marketing, for instance, right. Some clever tagline, uh, it, ser it serves the marketing, the ad campaign very well. But beyond that, um, if I'm a CMO tasked with a lot more than just the marketing, it's like, does it at all give me focus for any other aspect? Does it help me focus my design? Does it help me fight? But where, whereas if you if you if you have a, a, a tagline and a brand platform that is mission based, I have to start to think through everything through that lens you know what i mean if, if right. cleaning is deeper i've got to support deeper i've got to i got to i got to retrain all my cleaners to say hey guys you know when you go in there you have got to have this and also it also helps you to say okay well what are the services can we add on top of that so it changes your pricing model even you know and sure. so it, it it should have that it should have that catalytic i think um uh piece of it that without it, it feel it, it's a, it's a, it's a cute tagline. Right? And I, I hate when yeah, and, call and this is way more than tagline. a tagline. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, th this is really the things you're describing. These are, these are missions. So when the new chief marketing officer starts in 18 months, ha ha ha, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to change it because it isn't just some clever tagline. It's really, it's really what the brand is and does. And, and I, I, I made a big mistake, Jack, you just brought me to a funny story. When, uh, as, as you know, uh, America Runs on Duck has been going for almost two decades now. Uh -huh. Probably five years into it, we and we and it went and it went through. I think three different CMO changes. Um, <laughs> our agency, uh, the second CMO who came in, 
won marketer of the year and she asked me to uh, give you know speak to ad age and provide a quote really nice person um and i said and i might not have used the right words but because because she called me up afterwards to give me a little help but i said you know the thing that she did was really brilliant but she didn't come in and screw up what was already there and she went, hey, thanks a lot, Kevin. And really, and I, went, and I said, no, I said, again, just like the press always does, they always take out the pieces. What I was saying was, most CMOs come in and the first thing they want to do is like, hey, I can scrap that. I, I got to make right. it my own. I'm going to bring you my know. guys in. Yeah. Right. And that's it. People give you that all day long. Like, okay, go ahead, kill it. And she came in and said, this is exactly what this brand is. And she built on it. You know what I mean? And she, yeah. she was very smart about the way. And that was in my heart, what I was saying, what was coming out of my mouth was uh, one of the regrets of my my days. But I, I love when the word guy gets the words wrong. That's even better. So, uh, <laughs> but but let me tell you, the book is fantastic. All of the words in the book are are, are terrific. Again, it's called "Bacon in a Craveable Brand" by Kevin Molenkamp. Kevin, where can we find the book? Do you have a website for this, or do we go to Amazon, or where is the best place to send everyone for the book? You know, it's interesting. It's on Amazon. You can get it. We priced it very reasonable because my point is we're not trying to make money. We're really trying to get the word out there for franchisees and create an affordable, uh, but it's on Amazon. Little thing. If you type in baking, I-N-G, you'll end up in a lost field of bakery books. <laughs> for some reason, I learned after the fact that it doesn't do well with I-N apostrophe. So it's like the name of the book is Bacon, B-A-K-I-N apostrophe in a crable brand. So type that and then you'll find it. If you do baking, like I said, you'll be lost in, you know, a world of baking books. <laughs> All right. We'll have a link in today's show notes as well. We look forward to catching up again real soon. Hey, Jack, it's always great to talk to you, buddy. How can you unlock millions in annual revenue? Don't miss out on 30% of your phone calls. At Answer Connect, they've got the solution for franchisors, franchisees, suppliers, and brokers. If you can't answer your calls, Answer Connect can. Reclaim your revenue today. If you think this would help, call my good friend Karen Booz at 888-822-2034. That's 888-822-2034. Scott Greenberg is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and a regular contributor to the Social Geek Rockstar podcast. His newest book is called Stop the Shift Show, Turn Your Struggling Hourly Workers into a Top-Performing Team. It's out in about a week, and um, people who've pre-ordered it should be should be checking their mailboxes very soon. Um, and this is all coming out right before the big IFA convention, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. And the timing of that's a little bit purposeful. Um, I knew that that was happening, but that's about how long it was going to take anyway. So yeah, it was fortuitous. And I'm super excited to get it out there. You know what I like about this is a lot of people in franchising who are writing books now are looking at, you know, really big goals and big aspirational stuff for business owners. You decided to look inward at the small businesses staff. What was the inspiration for that? Uh, well, as you know, I wrote the first book, The Wealthy Franchisee, which is all about franchise success. And that opened a lot of doors for me, a lot of speaking engagements and coaching. So I got a much better sense of the pain points of individual franchisees. 
because they'd read the book or they'd hear me speak. They'd want to come talk to me. And of all the topics that I discussed in that first book, the thing that generated the most conversation and revealed the most pain was everything related to employees. And the vast majority of employees within the franchise world and, and even outside of that uh, are hourly workers. More than half of all workers in the U.S. are hourly employees. So knowing that that was such a huge pain point, I decided to go even deeper into that. So not only to reflect on my own experience directly managing hourly workers and you know multiple franchises, but then I started doing all this research and I interviewed all of these employers, not just franchises, but factories and retail settings and a grocery chain and a dry cleaner, all these different industries with hourly workers. And I found some who are just killing it, who are getting it right. So just as the wealthy franchisees about those who have figured it out in franchising, this book is about those who have stopped their shift show. It's my phrase for really difficult situation with employees. And for them, their teams, their hourly teams, their young hourly teams are their greatest asset. Give us a little preview. What are a couple of things that some of these really great teams are doing well? It was interesting. When I wrote The Wealthy Franchisee, there was a certain kind of personality that all these people had in common. They had different tactics, but all of them were very level-headed, very calm, uh, had very solid operations, but then infused that with the great human factor. It's the same thing with all of these people. They are level-headed. They really understand culture, but they also understand systems and the operation. But they know that the operation runs better when they have the right people side. So I went deeper with them about how is it that they're able to recruit better than others, that they have better retention, that they have better performance and better you know, um, you know, customer service. And it came down to all those human things, the ability to self-manage, to build great cultures, understanding motivation, and then how to measure those things to make sure that they are able to sustain it. You had me at level-headed because I think so many businesses that you and I have both examined over the years, there's really two kinds of businesses. There are businesses that focus on the business at hand and, and growing that business. And then there's the business that is just run by some complete maniac who's not level-headed and everything's just always chaos and all of the workers do everything based on how that leader quote unquote leader is going to react. Right. But so enough about brand journalists. <laughs> so. Thank you very no, much. Joking, joking. You're the exact I was, opposite. Of what I, was I was going to go into the, the politics now, but maybe we'll save okay. that for another show. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the thing is, Man, if you could just do anything, just keep an even keel, and that's going to solve a lot of problems, right? Or at least start you off on the right direction. Well, here's the thing. It's not that I want to blame the employer or blame the franchisee or manager, but I don't believe that any of us um, are entitled to anything, and I believe that all of us need to be held accountable. So the question that I so often get after I speak is, hey, Scott, how do I get my employees to... And then fill in the blank, you know, show up on time, care more about the business, you know, whatever. No one ever says to me, hey, Scott, how can I become more influential? How mm. can I be more engaging? How can I yeah. better understand my employees? And what I learned from the first book is the first place any of us need to look to improve performance is in the mirror. Like, what can I be doing first to be a better manager? We're not going to know what our employees are capable of until we give them the best management possible. And for most people they can do a whole lot better. I like that idea of not saying, how do I get my employees to show up on time? It's really more, how do I 
have a place where people want to show up on time or they or they want to do things to help grow our business or serve our customers better or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I had I wrote an article for Nation's Restaurant News about enhancing the customer experience and involved, you know, like a quick service restaurant, just taking another moment to kind of figure out emotionally what does the customer want? Are they looking for a good time? They're looking for speed, pay attention, and then kind of, you know, go to that place. And I get the scathing message from a guy afterwards saying, you know, I have, you know, this restaurant and I can barely get my employees to show up, let alone be armchair psychologists. Why don't you get some more real world experience managing employees before you write articles? (laughs) He didn't know I have plenty of experience doing it. (laughs) And, you know, we, we did well. So his data is that his employees aren't showing that they're not doing well. Therefore, they're not, it's not possible. They're not capable of it. It never occurred to him. All his data proves is that he can't get them to do it. Yeah. If this is a guy who's using up his time to write nasty emails to the writer of some article, (laughs) I'm not sure he's the best judge of what's happening in the workplace. And so I think all of us need to first put ourselves in check to make sure that we're not being judgmental, you know, kids these days. And you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's not constructive thinking, even though you might be right about kids these days, it's not helpful in terms of understanding how to manage kids these days. And just by reading that guy's comment, I could tell already, oh, that's like every jerk I worked for when I was in high school and college that I couldn't stand working for. Now I get why his business isn't doing well. Terrific. So um, you talk to more franchisees out there than probably anybody I know every month. Tell me what the vibe is out in franchise land. Are we, are we in a good place? Are we getting to a better place what are people concerned with? You know, what sort of the over, what sort of your overall take on the world of franchising these days? It varies by industry and by brand. Hmm. My sense is there's a lot of optimism out there. Um, you know, a little bit of concern. People keep talking about this economy that's supposed to crash at some point, right? Uh, certainly, you know, the complaints about inflation, even though it's starting to slow down, hopefully the complaints and fears around it will start to slow down. Uh, but I've been talking to so many brands whose numbers are up, you know, pre-pandemic. They're trending well. There's growth both in terms of the numbers of franchises they're selling and the actual sales of franchisees. Uh, I'm encouraged. I mean, if, if there's ever a time that I would encourage people to invest in the franchise industry or in a franchise business, it would be now. Um, you know, in spite of some concerns, in spite of what's happening in some industries, um, I think that it's, you know, things are looking sunny. That's great to hear. I can't wait to hear more at the IFA convention coming up February 17th through the 20th in Phoenix. You're speaking on a panel there. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to be uh, part of the. I'm actually going to be speaking for like 20, 25 minutes. Then we're having two or three people come up on stage, join me as a panel in a panel. And there'll be a moderator there. And we're all going to be talking about managing Generation Z. Oh, wow. Oh, that that will be one to definitely attend. And that's on, is it Monday or which day is that? Yeah, it's on Monday at 1.30. It's part of what they're labeling as the franchisee track, but all are welcome. Anybody who has anything to do with managing Generation Z or supporting those who do manage Generation Z, uh, they should all come. It's going to be a really great conversation. Yeah. Managing Generation Z, that pretty much includes every business on the planet right now. Pretty much. So be there. (laughs) Okay. So after IFA, What's next for you? I know you've got a lot of keynotes coming up. Any other big projects, more books on the way? What's sort of in your on your drafting table right now? 
Sure. So obviously this last year has been all about getting this book out. Right now it's about promoting it. And then it's going to be about continuing to promote it and get it out there. So a lot of interest in some press and a number of things in regards to the new book. Uh, but we're also working on a companion workbook. Like I really want hmm. people to um, you know, take in this content and use it. And I found if we can make the experience more interactive, um, that'll be the trick. So my hope is that people not only get the book, but also get the companion workbook, do it as groups, as part of cohorts, that sort of thing. We're also going to be developing an online course. It's really a system that's all about um, managing hourly workers that's based in this book, but with some additional tools, that kind of thing. So all the wealthy franchisee stuff I do, I'm excited to continue doing, but I'm really be pushing hard on helping people do a better job managing hourly workers. And so everything I'm doing right now is along those lines. I love that idea of a workbook being part of the entire experience. So it isn't just let's let's go listen to Scott for an hour. It's it's listen to Scott for an hour and then we've got our work cut out for us over the next however many weeks working together as a team. And for some of these people, that might be the first time they've ever really worked on a project as a team. Well, for a lot of people, it might be the first leadership management training they've ever gotten. I mean, you know, in franchising, you don't have to have management experience to buy a franchise. And a lot of people have management Very experience. True. Yeah. It's in a corporate white collar setting. They've never managed hourly workers and they certainly aren't learning from, from their franchisors because they're terrified of becoming joint employers. Right. 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 They, they, they might not be able to at some point. Right. Yeah. That's a and very one, good and, point. And one statistic that I found that I incorporate in the book is the average person in a management position manages people for 10 years before getting any management training at all. Oh my gosh. Right. So I think that there's a lot of people who, I mean, hopefully they'll get this book or they'll hear me speak. And it's the first time ever that they've gotten formal training on how to manage people. Wow. So, so, I mean, I really hope to help some some people. Yeah. Is there any particular audience out there or or level of 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 brand or you know franchise system by size or anything like that that really should take a look at this book or or is it more broad than that for lots of different types of businesses? I it's certainly for any business where there is a franchisee or a manager and they have a team of people. As we know, there are franchises where it really is a one-person operation, right? Uh, but other than that, if you have an employee, one or more, and you want to bring out the best in them, it's not a big investment to you know spend a few bucks on a book. And I like to think that if a brand brings me in to speak, that's a whole other level in which I can help them hopefully solve this problem and be a lot more productive have much better retention, provide a much better customer experience. Excellent. Scott, where can we find the book online? Uh, the book is available wherever books are sold. Amazon is the uh, the most obvious place, but, you know, Barnes and Noble, any place where, uh, you know, their retailers selling books, uh, you know, people can go there. If you're interested in bulk books, you certainly can come through uh, my team directly and we can make that happen. And that's at scottgreenberg.com? Yep. All right. We'll have a link to that in today's show notes. Thank you so much, sir. And we will see you very soon in Phoenix. Always a pleasure, Jack. Thanks. Before we go, a quick word from Citroen Cooperman. 
Citroen Cooperman is proud to be the home of one of the leading franchising practices in the country. With over 40 years of franchise experience, Citroen Cooperman provides a full range of services to a vast number of franchise concepts. They work with the owners, operators, controllers, and CFOs of a wide range of franchisors and multi-unit franchisees to help them establish their brands and grow their businesses to the next level. The Citroen Cooperman Franchise Practice is comprised of experienced CFE accredited professionals, providing franchisors and multi-unit franchisees the guidance and insight they need to minimize uncertainty, meet compliance and contractual obligations, and stay focused on building their businesses. For more information, please contact Aaron Chaitovsky and Michael Iannuzzi at CitroenCooperman.com. And thank you for listening and staying connected on the Social Geek Radio Network.